0: Nearly three quarters of the public feel that we do not get good value out of the healthcare system. And on top of that, we know that in the United States we have some of the worst health outcomes on key indicators. For example, our incredibly high rates of maternal mortality and infant mortality. So I think these data tell us that very clearly that the healthcare system is not meeting the needs of the people that it serves.
1: Welcome to the ACO Show. We welcome Sophia Tripoli, the director of healthcare innovations at Families USA. Families USA is a national, nonpartisan, nonprofit voice for healthcare consumers dedicated to achieving high-quality, affordable healthcare. Sophia joins Josh for a conversation about different healthcare payment models and levers of change to lower costs and improve health outcomes. You'll hear how Families USA is working to realign incentives in order to make healthcare more consumer-centered, and how they maintain nonpartisanship in their work. This is Josh Israel. Welcome to the ACO Show. I'm joined today by Sophia Tripoli, who is the Director of Healthcare Innovations at Families USA. Welcome to the show, Sophia.
0: Hi, Josh. Thank you very much for having us.
1: Usually would like to start by just getting some, some baseline. Uh, can you tell us about your organization? What does Families USA do?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Families USA is a leading national nonpartisan voice for healthcare consumers. And we're dedicated to achieving high quality uh, affordable healthcare and improved health for all. We have four pillars that sort of drive our work, uh, focused around healthcare value, healthcare equity, health coverage, and the consumer experience. And we kind of view these four focus areas as the cornerstones of America's he- America's healthcare system.
1: When you talk about inefficiencies in the US healthcare system, what 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 are some examples that come to mind for you?
0: Yeah, well, I think um, one of the biggest factors, you know, around health inefficiencies is around uh, the high and rising prices of healthcare. You know, nearly 20 years ago, the late Uwe Reinhardt and his colleagues determined that when it comes to American healthcare costs, it's the prices stupid. And Uwe and his colleagues published a study that analyzed the U.S. healthcare system's costs compared to 30 other countries, and essentially found that the U.S. spends more on healthcare than any other country, yet on key Health indicators, we produce worse outcomes and quality compared to most uh, of the comparison countries. And Uwe and his colleagues determined that the difference in spending in the US compared to those 30 other countries was caused by higher prices for healthcare goods and services uh, in the United States. And then again in 28, Ashish Jha and colleagues published another study, um, which again compared US healthcare spending and outcomes in 10 other high income earning countries and came to a similar conclusion. Essentially, he found that contrary to what many claim to be the drivers of high healthcare costs in the United States, namely social spending and healthcare utilization, those factors were not actually the drivers of substantially higher healthcare spending in the U.S. compared to these other countries. In fact, it was the prices of healthcare goods and services that has been the main driver of healthcare costs. And despite knowing that for now nearly two decades, uh, health policy world has not been particularly focused on you know healthcare prices. Um, and so I think healthcare prices and, and is one of the f- major inefficiencies in our healthcare system that's causing um, patient harm and driving up costs. Uh, I think another example is, uh, is sort of what are the underlying factors that are driving those prices? And, you know, in 2010, there was a landmark report put out by then Attorney General Martha Coakley in Massachusetts, um, which determined that the underlying driver of high and variable prices in Massachusetts was actually the result of market power and leverage over the negotiations on prices among insurers, hospitals, and physician groups. A similar report was put out about New York State's healthcare markets. Um, And then after that, there was this triple effect where we started to understand that that similar dynamic in Massachusetts and New York was playing out across healthcare markets in the country. Um, So this growing trend of healthcare consolidation is definitely problematic for our nation's healthcare cost crisis and for our nation's families, employers, and workers who end up absorbing these increased costs through higher premiums and deductibles.
1: So you see market consolidation or monopolies as one of the biggest drivers of healthcare costs?
0: Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I think there are a lot of different factors that contribute to the high costs that we're seeing to our healthcare cost crisis, um, as well as the quality uh, crisis that we have in this country. But certainly uh, the consolidation of markets within the healthcare system um, is a significant factor. And often we're not giving it the type of attention that that we need to.
1: One of the uh, areas of healthcare high cost that Alidaid focuses on is the misalignment of incentives. So not so much about where the monopoly power lies, but more in the way that providers in the healthcare system and healthcare systems are incentivized to do as much as possible and bring in a lot of revenue, which seems like that could happen whether or not there was monopoly consolidation. What do you think about that?
0: Yeah, I think um, uh, what you're talking about is sort of the way in in which sort of the predominant payment model in the United States um, is making payments based on uh, the number of tests provided or services provided rather than on the quality of care um, and keeping patients healthy. And this, I think, creates a perverse incentive to provide healthcare services as a way to generate revenue rather than generating revenue because you provided the right set of services that will keep people healthy.
1: I know that your organization focuses on trying to make the US healthcare system more consumer focused. Um, this is sort of a softball question, I think, for anybody who spent any time looking at the US healthcare system. But in what ways would you say that the US healthcare system is not currently a, a consumer focused or consumer friendly system?
0: Yeah. Well, let me share a couple of data points that I think help illuminate the question you're asking. 44% of the public report not being able to see a doctor when they needed to because of the healthcare costs. Um, 30% of the public report that medical care is interfering with their basic needs like food, securing stable housing, making sure they can put heat on in the winter to keep themselves and their families warm. And nearly three quarters of the public feel that we do not get good value out of the healthcare system. And on top of that, we know that in the United States, we have some of the worst health outcomes on key indicators. For example, our incredibly high rates of maternal mortality and infant mortality. So I think these data tell us that very clearly that the healthcare system is not meeting the needs of the people that it serves. And I also think it's important to point out um, that what we've learned from what we've seen in the COVID-19 pandemic, um, which has amplified many of the ways in which the healthcare system is not meeting the needs um, of the people it serves. For example, look at the way Uh, look at how COVID-19 has further unveiled the harsh realities of existing disparities in health and healthcare in the United States, where Black and Latino communities have experienced significantly higher rates of infection and death. Now, the national narrative regarding what is driving inequities and disparities in COVID-19 outcomes for Black and Latino communities uh, have centered on the link between pre-existing conditions and health, rather than how differential rates of chronic conditions came about, or how exposures such as community trauma neighborhood disinvestment, and environmental toxins can cause or further exacerbate those conditions. So I think you know right now our healthcare system is not equipped with the tools and the resources it needs um, to address all of the factors that drive health and health outcomes for many of the communities that it serves.
1: You mentioned value in the healthcare system. What does value mean to you as it pertains to healthcare?
0: It's a great question. Well, for, for Families USA, um, really value is about identifying the fact that our current healthcare system um, is filled with many inefficiencies that are increasing costs and harm to patients. And so you know, part of our work is to address those issues with a robust transformation agenda that's designed to ensure that all families get the support they need to live healthy lives, including receiving high quality, low cost, uh, consumer-centered healthcare. So I think that's the key. I think when we're talking about value, we're talking about high quality care At a low cost that's consumer centered. Um, And that's sort of what needs to be infused throughout our healthcare system to make sure that it's serving uh, the people of of our our country.
1: So, you are the director of healthcare innovations. Uh, Can you say more about what, in particular, that role means?
0: So, I work on a set of issues that are focused on redesigning the underlying economic incentives um, of the healthcare system uh, that are driving high cost and poor quality care for the families of our nation. So, that means we're working to reorient. The healthcare system to meet the needs of families by building the right set of economic incentives within the healthcare system that will ensure that each person who interacts with the healthcare system receives the highest quality, most affordable healthcare and good health they deserve. So, for example, we are working to change the way healthcare is paid for so that payment to providers allows them to meet the unique needs of their patient population rather than um, being constrained by fee-for-service payment that is dependent on transactional interactions. Um, At the same time, we do recognize that fee-for-service is the predominant payment model in the United States healthcare system. So we're also working within the current fee-for-service paradigm to make changes within the Medicare physician fee schedule to increase payments for primary care, for example. We also work on a a set of issues around price and quality transparency. Um, And the main issue here that we focus on is how the healthcare system is currently blocking the ability of consumers and workers and employers from knowing how much we are paying for healthcare um, until after care has already been provided. We believe that in order to effectively address our healthcare cost and quality crisis, and to be informed purchases of healthcare, we need to be able to have access to information about um, the price of healthcare and the quality of care provided. I think that level of price and quality transfer uh, information is really critical to being able to drive a system of value. Um, into our healthcare
1: system. I do know that you spent some time at CMMI, Medicare's Innovation Center, before you joined Families USA, uh, and I wonder, both from your work there and your current work, what do you see as some potential models for U.S. healthcare that have potential for benefit? You know, we've we've talked about some of the challenges that are that are readily visible, um, but what about actual structural business models? Um, some that you see as as promising.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think the move to value-based care is extremely important for the financial sustainability um, of our healthcare system, Um, and um, you know, for a lot of the reasons we've already talked about in terms of costs and and quality, that move to value is so is so important. And I think what's, you know, amplifying that need um, is is what's happening right now in terms of COVID-19, which has sort of been the stark and heartbreaking reminder uh, of sort of the fundamental failures in the current payment system, uh, predominant payment model we have in the US healthcare system, fee for service, um, where we're seeing entire sectors of the healthcare system gravely impacted by the reduced volume, which has dire- directly resulted from COVID-19 and orders to stay at home and to into and quarantine. Um, and I think the most notable example of that is uh, is what we're seeing happening in primary care, where some estimates say up to a third of practices might close their doors permanently um, because of the reliance on fee for service. So I think um, you know, as you're saying, like there's been this nationwide movement to move towards value-based care over the last decade, and I think there are some very promising models, um, such as accountable care organizations, bundled payment models, uh, patient-centered medical homes. Um, but I think you know, for us, the question is not necessarily about which specific models work, because I think ultimately to drive down costs and improve health for people, we're going to need to pull on a lot of different models um, to get us there. And I think the fundamental question that we are thinking about is you know, which models are sort of disintermediating the transactional provision of services that limit providers to thinking about how to care for a patient based on billing codes, um, in the current sort of payment structure, and instead to think about a payment structure that allows providers to do what they do best, which is care for and treat their patients. Um, so for us, though, that's the frame that we're thinking about, value-based care models, um, where the payment to providers enables them to meet the comprehensive whole person health and healthcare needs of their patient population.
1: Well, I'm not trying to, to lead you to um, to sing the praises, particularly of accountable care organizations, but I also don't wanna let you off too easy. I think a lot of us would agree that value-based care and aligning uh, payments with outcomes is the way to go, but you don't have any any favorites within that? You don't, you know, because we're going to have to pick some model. We can't just say all value-based care is equally good. You know, do you think that things should be going in any particular direction?
0: Well, I certainly think um, that we need to uh, move to a place where, uh, you know, within value-based care, where we are paying based on um, quality outcomes, that we're not just sort of ticking away at process quality measures, um, that those are an important sort of step along the journey towards quality, but ultimately we need to be pushing towards value, to be pushing ourselves and pushing the healthcare system to be linking payment to, to patient outcomes um, and, to, and to be ensuring that we are orienting ourselves towards the population health outcomes that we are striving to achieve. Um, And I think there are are a lot of different ways to get there. Um, Certainly, you know, we have to be at a place where we're moving to take on more risk, you know, where providers are taking on more risk uh, and not just, you know, bonus incentives, but there's actually sort of accountability for the total cost of care um, and outcomes of a patient population. So I think models that are uh, driving towards that end goal um, and are taking the steps to get there are are the models that we're going to ultimately see as the most successful.
1: Families USA describes itself as nonpartisan, and I think everybody wants good health for American citizens. But is it really possible to say that anything major in the U.S. healthcare system right now is nonpartisan?
0: Well, I think at Families USA we have sort of this great privilege of being able to put forth policy solutions that are in the best interests of our nation's families, children, seniors, and adults. Um, And so that's our our mission, that's our focus, um, and that truly allows us to be uh, nonpartisan. I think we can can point to uh, several examples of healthcare issues where both Democrats, Republicans, and the White House want to see solutions passed and implemented, such as ending surprise medical bills, addressing the high cost of prescription drugs, um, or even giving consumers uh, the ability to access their healthcare data, and then to bring that data with them to any healthcare system or provider that they that they choose to see, um, where we end up seeing a lot more partisanship play out is around the specific policy solutions to address many of those
1: issues. Can you say more about that? Because then ultimately, if the the pro- if we agree on the problems in a nonpartisan way, but the solutions are all partisan, where does that leave us for partisanship?
0: Well, certainly, partisanship plays a role into what policies end up making it into legislation and and what you know is passed and becomes law. Um, but I think for Families USA, we're really focused on ensuring that the policies that we're putting forth and and talking about are in the interests of families, are going to make the healthcare system work better for consumers, uh, care more affordable, care that's higher quality, and that often means that we. Can take a position that um, aligns with, you know, different different members, different parties, because ultimately we are representing the consumer's interests and not the interests of a of a political
1: party. So, what do you see as the the changes that that could be made now that that might be politically feasible um, that would get us closer to a you know a more patient-friendly system, a more efficient system?
0: Yeah, I think uh, one of the, more, the most important changes that needs to occur to drive value into the healthcare system is to uh, stop the practice of you know blocking healthcare data um, and to allow healthcare data to flow and be interop- interoperable so that providers effectively do uh, care management that is needed to really meet the needs of patients. And so that patients can access their data Uh, and take healthcare information to whatever doctor or healthcare system that they decide to seek care from. So I think that option definitely has some feasibility. I think one of the ways we can get there is by, you know, moving forward with all payer claims databases that don't just include medical data and claims data, but also start to move us towards prescription drug data, access to dental data and available social services data. And there's been some movement um, on this and I think um, some bipartisan uh, support I think another really critical area where we need, um, we need the ability of, of the purchase of healthcare to have access to actionable and meaningful data about the cost and quality of healthcare before the care is rendered. Uh, I think that's really fundamental to really achieve a value based healthcare system. And to do so, we have to be able to hold the healthcare system accountable for the cost and quality of healthcare, um, which means we have to have real transparency into the prices and, and quality. And I think that's another area where there's uh, a lot of interest uh, and, and possibility to move forward.
1: Um, one of the things that I particularly love about accountable care organizations is that the goal is is better health care for patients and the people working within an ACO system, they don't necessarily even have to believe in anything politically one way or another. They just need to know that they're going to get paid more money if their patients are healthier. Um, so that is one of the biggest levers of change for an organization like yourselves. Where do you try to push on the levers of change for for better health care?
0: Yeah, so I think um, fundamentally, we believe that um, we need to be able to build in the interests of families and consumers um, and seniors, adults into the economic incentives um, of the healthcare system. And I think that's a really important lever that I'm pushing on in my work at Families USA. Um, You know, we believe that, that revenue in the healthcare system should be generated based on making sure that people are able to get healthy and stay healthy. Um, And currently, those fundamental sort of financial and economic incentives are built in a way that generates revenue based on doing more tests or procedures, uh, rather than on keeping people healthy and treating them uh, when they become sick. Or there are economic incentives that are built in a way that financially rewards those entities who who hold greater market power um, and are able to leverage that power to block the flow of data or raise prices. So these are the types of incentives, I think, that really run counter to the interests of families and that we want to... Um, that we want to fundamentally change. You know, we think we can transform the healthcare system to meet the needs of the people it serves, but we really have to be able to build the interests of consumers into those economic incentives so that revenue is is generated based on helping patients effectively manage their hypertension or diabetes, Um, as you mentioned, in terms of, uh, you know, making sure that there are good patient outcomes. or that healthcare prices are determined based on healthy competition within healthcare markets and across healthcare markets, or so that healthcare providers can uh, access timely and accurate data on their patients to effectively provide coordinated, uh, high-quality care to the patients. So those are the types of sort of consumer-focused incentives and and interest that I think are a really important lever that we're working on um, to to push value into the healthcare system.
1: Sophia, Mm -hmm. if anybody listening wants to take next steps and learn more about your organization or or work with you to bring about some of this change, what should they do?
0: Absolutely. The, the best place to go is to go to our website, famasusa.org um, and click on our work um, and you can scroll down to a project titled Consumers First. Um, and within that, you'll be able to find lots more information about many of the different issue areas we talked about today, as well as how you can join our listserv and make sure you're staying up to date with with our work that we're doing.
1: Sophia Tripoli, Director of Healthcare Innovations at Families USA. Thanks for joining the ACO Show. Thank you. The ACO Show is produced by Brittany Barnes, Hannah Posner, and our intern, Maddie Bender. You can listen to previous episodes on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. CO show.